back when I was in high school and started preaching, I had a pastor tell me one time that I can preach on whatever I wanted to, except for money or politics, because preachers should always avoid those two topics. Well, clearly, I didn't pay enough attention to him, because here we are. We just finished a series called The Root of All Evil, in which we talked about the negative effects that money can have on our lives. And now we're starting a series called The Big Conundrum, in which we're going to talk about how our faith and our politics should intersect. You ready? Let's go! One of the very first sermons I ever preached as an official clergy was almost my last sermon. At least based on the feedback I received, I was pretty convinced that it would be my last. So it was August of 2015, and at the time, I was preaching at the contemporary service at First United Methodist Church in downtown Baton Rouge, our mother church, our mother campus. And not too long after I got appointed there, it was literally about three weeks into my appointment, the church started a sermon series titled, Is God on My Side? The whole purpose of this series was to talk about listening for God's voice and guidance in everything that we did. So based on that, it wasn't really a sermon series that would stir the pot. Now, let me give you some more context on this series, though. The 2016 election was about a year away, and it was beginning to take shape in the uh, fall of 2015. People were beginning to announce their presidential campaigns, tensions were starting to rise, and we were at a place where President Obama had served two terms, So we all knew that no matter what, there was going to be change coming in that next presidential election. But despite all of this, we were still about a year away from the actual election. And while tensions had gotten high, they had not gotten to the point where we find ourselves in today. So on top of all of that, the church leadership decided to use a logo for the series that was going to push people, make them uncomfortable, and maybe even intrigue them all at the same time. So here's what the the, uh, designer for this logo came up with. It was a silhouette of a person with a whole bunch of thinking bubbles above this this person's head. And uh, they almost seemed to contradict each other. Now, some were funny, right? So there was one bubble with the University of Alabama, uh, the logo from the University of Alabama, and the other one had the LSU logo on it. So we all know which one's right and which one's wrong when it comes to those, right? Go Tigers. But then they got deeper. There was a a bubble with a Democratic logo and another one with a Republican logo. There was one for CNN and another one for Fox News. There was one with a pride flag, a Confederate flag, and uh, and even one bubble that had a picture of the Supreme Court. Now, without a doubt, just by looking at this logo, people were uncomfortable. It pushed people, and there were even some people who were intrigued by it. So, okay, let me give you one more piece of the puzzle so you can understand what happened that day. And perhaps this is the most important piece to the puzzle. My sermon that day was about responding to God's voice by learning to react with grace and love rather than anger. So this whole sermon, this this entire sermon is about learning to stop being angry and instead learning to spread love and grace to people, right? Okay, so as I was preparing my sermon that week, I had an experience which just fit perfectly. It was a perfect opportunity to share it in my sermon. And and so, like I I said, I couldn't help but sharing it. And it went something like this. 
basically, in the political world at the time, an average citizen announced his campaign by talking about immigrants. And as a child of immigrants myself, I was really wrestling with what was said. So in my sermon, I mentioned that the entire week, I was angry and I was upset and I was hurt, uh, and how so many times during that week, I came really close to posting something on social media that uh, would be depictive of the anger that I was feeling, right? Something that I really shouldn't write. But the more I wrestled with that, the more I prayed about it, the more I realized that there was no point in writing this nasty Facebook post, the easier it became for me to respond with grace and love instead of anger. And I, and I told people, God had everything to do with that shift in response and not me. And that was it. That was all I said. I, I challenged people after that story, that I challenged the congregation to do the same, to invite God into their lives so that they can respond differently. And that was it. That's as far as I pushed anything. Now, keep in mind, even though everybody knew who I was talking about, I, I never mentioned this person's name because I didn't want it to make it about that person. I didn't want to make it about the, the person who was uh, running for, for president because it wasn't a political statement. I was not trying to say anything political in my sermon. I simply wanted to make it about my feelings and how I was tempted to respond and how I was wrong, right? That's what I wanted people to focus on, so I used no names. But between the political tensions that were starting to rise, between this graphic that was being displayed on either side of me, and the fact that my story involved someone who ended up being a politician, there was major fallout. As I was sharing my story, there were some people who just got up and walked out of the room. And by the time I got home that afternoon, I had multiple emails from people asking if they could meet with me throughout the week, or at least as soon as possible. And every single one of them made it a point to tell me that they were mad that I would even bring politics up in a sermon. On top of that, by the following Sunday, more than half of our volunteers had quit, and about a third of our people stopped coming. You know, as far back as I can remember, and uh, I, I gotta tell you, I started preaching since I was in middle school. As far back as I can remember, there has been this tension between politics and faith for a long time. And what strikes me about it is that it, it is a tension that we really don't know how to deal with or navigate, or, or we don't even know what course of action we should take, right? So, so let me give you some examples about what I mean. For starters, in order for churches to keep their tax-exempt status, they aren't allowed to endorse any political figures in any official church function. And yet, there is tension around how people perceive the enforcement of this, right? And here's, how, well, here's why it gets complicated. So the pastor of a church can have an opinion outside of the church, right? That's freedom of speech. They can have their own opinion and vote for whoever they want and convince people to vote for whoever they want. But within official church events, this is a big no-no. So, Fernie, uh, I, Fernie, can have an opinion as to who I want to be in office, and I can even be vocal about that on my Facebook page, let's say. But I cannot be vocal about that as the pastor of Mid-City Church, and I cannot be vocal about that in, in a Mid-City Church function. Does this begin to make sense? Where, where it gets kind of messy, where the lines begin to get blurred, is that at the end of the day, the pastor will always be associated with the church and vice versa. So, so this is just a tension that, that we're having to wrestle with all the time. So let me give you another example of tension when it comes to faith and politics. More and more, I am continuing to hear, continuing to hear a rhetoric which fights for the church and the political realm 
to work more closely together as they advocate for Christian values, right? Quote, unquote, Christian values. Now, just think about all the times that we have heard Christians say that if we could just go back to when our country was more Christian, that things would be better, right? We've heard that before, right? More and more, Christians have made it a priority to publicly align themselves to a certain political party over the other because in their mind, their party better fights for their Christian values. And more and more, I've been hearing people say that the way to quote-unquote fix our country is by electing a truly moral Christian, right, to be president. And it's then and only then that our country can actually be great. You've heard these things too, haven't you? Now look, at the same time, the, the opposite side of that is uh, I'm hearing more and more people argue that politics has no room for faith. And that if we just keep our Christian values out of politics, the world would be better, right? You've probably heard that as well. So which one is it? As Christians, in the midst of the political environment that we find ourselves in, and with the midterm elections a month away, are we supposed to avoid, uh, uh, to be advocating for Christian morals and values to become policy? Or are we supposed to stay out of it? Are we supposed to say that we're going we're gonna to do our own thing over here and you all figure your thing out, right? Which one is it? So let me, let me let you in on the roller coaster of thoughts that I've had about this all week, about this tension all week. On one hand, as I was preparing for this series, there was a part of me that thought, yes, Christians should advocate to put people in office that better align with the kingdom of God and will advocate for it. But then as I kept wrestling with it, I started thinking about all the harm that has and continues to happen when the church and politics become closely aligned. And usually, this harm boils down to interpretation of Scripture. See, I have an interpretation of what the kingdom of God looks like and what we need to advocate for. But the pastor down the road might have a very different uh, interpretation. And even more so, a church on the other side of the country can have an even more completely different view than the two of us here, right? Which is why the church all around the world disagrees about things like abortion and women in ministry and LGBTQ rights and how pastors are to be ordained and what the end times look like and how baptism should be understood and whether or not drinking and dancing are okay, right? I can go on and on and on with examples of how the global church interprets scripture differently, which means that if we are to align our policy with our Christian values, the question we have to ask is, which Christian values? Is it the Baptist values, the Methodist values, the non-denom values, right? What Christian values do we advocate for when we as Christians can't even agree on all of our values, right? We agree on some, we agree on some things, but not on all of them which is why the more I wrestled with this and thought about it and prayed about this, the more I realized that I did not feel comfortable standing up here and urging us to get more involved in politics and fight for our values because we have seen the mess that that type of mindset creates. So then I thought, this is still that roller coaster, so then I thought, maybe the people who are saying that Christians should not be inserting their values into politics are right and that we should just do our own thing and avoid politics altogether, right? Let's just live in our little bubble of church and small groups and leave the rest of the world to do their own thing. But then I realized that this mindset also falls short because as U.S. citizens, you and I, we have a role to play in society. 
there is an expectation of us, right? We have to pay taxes, we have to vote, we have to show up for jury duty, we have to follow the laws, right? And by the simple fact that we live here, right? For no other reason than the fact that we live here, we have to play a role in politics. And believe it or not, this is actually a very biblical concept. In Matthew 22, we're told that uh, the religious leaders of the time, the people called the Pharisees, decided to try to trap Jesus and get him in trouble with Roman officials. Listen to what happens in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees met together to find a way to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are genuine and that you teach God's way as it really is. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you don't show favoritism. So tell us what you think. Does the law, the Jewish law, does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What a question, right? So listen to what else it says. Knowing their evil motives, Jesus replied, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used to pay the tax. And so they brought him a denarian. And Jesus says, Whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. When they heard this, they were astonished, and they departed. Now, I love this response that Jesus gives the Pharisees, right? Give to Caesar what, is, uh, what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. In other words, Jesus reminds them that there are certain obligations that they, as citizens of Rome, right, people who live in Rome, have to uphold and they have to acknowledge, right? So, so if Rome and Herod expect them to, take, uh, to pay taxes, then they need to pay, pay taxes. They can't just isolate themselves in this little bubble while living in Rome. And the same is true for you and I. See, there are things that because we live in the United States of America, we just have to do, right? We talked about this already. Paying taxes, voting, showing up for jury duty, following the laws. There's, there's so many things that we as, as people who live in the U.S. just have to do which leaves us wrestling with this big conundrum. As the midterms approach, as political tensions continue to rise, as we prepare for another presidential election, how are we Christians supposed to intersect our faith with the politics that are all around us? Now look, I'm gonna be honest with you. As I was preparing for this sermon and started to, I started to get stuck. I started talking to people about what the Bible says regarding faith and politics, and I started asking them, what, what, what am I missing, right? What am I missing when it comes to this big conundrum? And as I was having conversations with people and I did my own research, I was reminded of the lives of two important biblical figures, Paul and Jesus. So let's start with Paul. Paul is one of the most influential characters of the New Testament. Besides Jesus, many people argue that Paul is the most influential character. He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted so many of the church community, communities that we read about in the New Testament. And he gets a lot of credit for spreading the good news of Jesus to places that at one point were unimaginable, all while dealing with Rome and its political attempts to stop or slow down any movement, including Christianity, that was seen as a threat to the empire. And as I, as I read about Paul and studied about Paul and asked people about Paul, do you know what I found? Everyone told me about this, and I didn't believe it. But here's what I found. I found that not once, not once, does Paul talk about politics, right? Which, which I mean, just looking at that, it doesn't really answer this big conundrum that we're wrestling with, right? Okay, so let's look at Jesus. 
I think the best way to describe who Jesus is is found in the Apostles' Creed. And here's what it says. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Like, I still get goosebumps every time I read this, especially the part where it says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pilate was the political figure of the time, and, and because of uh, Pilate's actions, uh, the, the, Jesus experienced suffering. And because of that suffering, he ended up getting crucified and died and was buried. And yet, and yet there's so much more to this story, right? We know that there's so much more to Jesus' story, but let's stop here for a second. And I want you to consider something. Even knowing what would happen to him, bringing about political reform in Rome wasn't a priority for Jesus. See, Jesus, for Jesus, regardless of politics and the suffering that politics would cause him, he was focused on something greater than changing politics. I mean, can you wrap your head around that? Jesus knew that the government was going to put so much pain on him, and yet the only thing he ever said about politics was pay your taxes, right? Do your part. Isn't that powerful? See, Jesus was focused on something greater than bringing about policy reform. And we can find that greater focus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. And basically, Jesus walks into uh, the, the temple, and, and he begins, he opens up a scroll and begins to read from this. And many people believe this is Jesus' mission statement. And here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus was focused on his entire life. Not on policy, not on politics. Jesus lived his entire life focused on preaching good news to the poor, helping prisoners of any kind, both spiritual and physical, experience freedom, helping the blind see again, and healing all those who needed healing and recovery. He focused on liberating the people who were oppressed, whether it be a financial oppression, racial oppression, sexism, or any other kind of, kind of oppression. And, and, and he focused on telling people of God's coming kingdom, which would soon be established. That is what Jesus dedicated his life to, and not creating policy change. Now, I want you to listen to this quote from a podcast called The Basement by Pastor Tim Ross. He says, the Rome that Jesus spent his life in was more corrupt than the corruption in North and Latin America combined will ever be. And yet, Jesus had nothing to say about policy reform because he was focused on growing his disciples and he grew them to deal with whatever Rome threw at them. Powerful, right? Okay, let's begin to connect all of this. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is challenging us as followers of Jesus to focus on preaching good news to the poor, proclaiming release to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, liberating the oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, regardless of any obstacles that any political figure may put before us. And at the same time, we also have to uphold the things that are expected of us as citizens, right? Voting, jury duty, following the laws, all that kind of stuff. See, it's not about infiltrating politics or creating a Christian bubble. It's about doing the hard work of growing God's kingdom 
while playing our role as citizens and continuously trying to hold those two intention. But what does that even look like? I want you to listen to this excerpt by Caitlin Sheese in her book, The Liturgy of Politics. And this is the book that inspired this whole series. Here's what she says. When we work at a local food pantry, we're working amidst a number of regulations that determine how nonprofits function. We're interacting with a problem, in this case poverty, that has varied political causes and solutions. When we help local refugee children learn English, we're sitting across the table from children whose lives have been greatly dictated by politics, the conflicts that harm them, the way the United States processes refugees, the number of people we accept, the benefits they can access, right? When our churches support a prison ministry, she says, they're operating in the web of decades of criminal justice politics. Whether or not we even serve in any of these capacities is often determined not just by our own preferences, listen to this, not just by our own preferences, but by the politics determining the proximity that we have to any of these marginalized populations. Likewise, she says, when our youth group has to bus kids to the other side of the tracks, that is politics. See, this is what it means to give Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. I think Jesus is calling us to do the work that we've been called to do while also living into our obligations of cit as citizens. We have to learn how to deal with any red tape we may encounter as we continue to bring hope and love and grace and peace and healing and so much more into a world that desperately needs us to do so. On August 27, 2020, a Category 4 hurricane named Laura made landfall in southwest Louisiana. The devastation was horrible, and even to this day, two years later, you can drive through a city like Lake Charles, Louisiana, and still see some of the damage and devastation. You can only imagine how much longer it has taken to do recovery in the smaller back road towns. Well, a couple of weeks after Hurricane uh, Laura came through, a group of us traveled to Derrida, Louisiana to help with a conference cleanup day. We went and we worked with an older lady who had so much debris and broken trees in her backyard that she just needed help getting it all cleaned up, Move, moved up to her front yard, up to the front curb, so that it could be picked up by the city later. But um, like I said, she was that, that was the only project she needed, but she was too elderly, and there was nobody really there to help her. So unless someone like our group from the church helped, the debris was just going to stay there, which would lead to a whole bunch of critters and an, an unsafe environment for her pets, and even a decrease in property value. Now, I'll never forget getting to her house, and very quickly, our group cleared out a bunch of the debris, and we had made this huge pile out front that would soon be picked up by the city. But there were still some bigger trees that needed to be sawed so that they could be easy to carry, and, and we would have her uh, entire backyard looking good. Now, here was a problem. None of us were allowed to use a chainsaw. Even though we had enough people that if we could chainsaw those couple of trees, we could get the entire project finished we were not allowed to use the chainsaws. See, there was this rule set in place that only people who had a special certification uh, for using a chainsaw could actually use the chainsaw, uh, which meant that even if waiting for someone with a certificate certification could take, uh, would, would take weeks, the only people that could use a chainsaw were those that were certified. Now, this meant that despite being so close to being done at this lady's house, we would not get to finish the entire project because we had to follow this policy, this red tape. And I have to tell you, most of us were pretty frustrated about it. I mean, just let us use the chainsaw, right? Now, let me tell you what ended up happening in the end. 
when we reached a point where we couldn't go any further at our job site, we ended up packing our stuff and going over to a second work site. Now, the house there, that was pretty bad. They had had a tree fall on the roof, and they needed help removing that along with other trees. And we were tired, we were hot, but the group rallied, and we pretty much finished that other house. There were some minor things left to do, but they already had a plan to finish those things anyway. And I have to tell you, the homeowner was so appreciative of the help. She kept telling us that it would have taken them weeks to do the work that we did in just a couple of hours. Now, let me tell you why I share this story. Once we hit the roadblocks at that first house of uh, having to have a certification to use a, a chainsaw, it would have been very easy for us to stay there, dig our heels in, and argue with people that hoping uh, argue with people hoping that the the policy would change, that we would be allowed to use a chainsaw somehow, and and we would get to finish the entire project. We could have done that. Instead, when we hit a policy roadblock. We went on to the next site and continued to do kingdom work. Look, it broke our hearts that we had to move sites without the job being done. And I wish that that would never have to happen. But if we had stayed there arguing about the policy and advocating for change, we would still be waiting there today because two years later, that is still the policy. Now, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we get so focused on policy reform and politics that we forget to do kingdom work. And during that time when we're trying to change policy, we miss out on helping people experience the kingdom of God here and now. So, so friends, th there's going to be red tape. Th there's going to be policies that seem to impede or slow down our work. But even then, we have to learn to live with this tension uh, of dealing with that while continuing to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, help, the liberate, uh, help to liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, uh, regardless of any obstacles, of any red tape that any policy or, politi uh, or political figure may put before us. Now, let me just say this one last thing. Policy reform is not bad. I am not suggesting that we as Christians just sit back and deal with politics, whatever they are, especially when they create huge obstacles for us as we help to bring about God's kingdom. But our focus must always be on bringing about the kingdom of God and never sacrifice that focus or put it on hold because we want to go create policy change. Because the reality is that if we wait to do kingdom work until policy and politics change, then a whole lot of people are going to experience hunger and pain, and worry, and fear, and so much more during that time. So friends, may we live into this mission that God has placed before us. May we also play our role as citizens by giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. But most importantly, may we tackle this big conundrum by staying focused on bringing about the kingdom of God regardless of any red tape, regardless of any obstacles, and regardless of any limitations that we may face, because the world needs us to act now. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermoncast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermoncast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church 
by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.